As we turn our attention to God's Word and for our sermon from Scripture, let me remind you we're doing a series. Uh, this is, I think, week nine of a series on the hymns of the church, the songs of the church, uh, the things that we would sing together. And we're doing this series really for a number of reasons, but one of those is to highlight the gospel truths that are in some of the songs that we sing. And sometimes to expose the backstory of the author or of the composing of the hymn. And we want to do more than just mouth words together. We want to sing as the church, and we want to unite our heart, hearts with the church of old. And this week, we're actually considering our first contemporary hymn. A hymn written in 1995, actually. A familiar one to the GPC Church family called How Deep the Father's Love. And in order to understand the beauty of this hymn, and really the reason that I chose it, is because it captures so well the beauty of the truth, the gospel truth of adoption. Now the truth is, not a lot of our hymns emphasize Adoption. You can go and look. Go look for yourself. It's a beautiful truth in Scripture, and it comes up with references here or there, but there are not really hymns devoted to the sole subject of adoption. And that is one of the reasons that this hymn stood out to me as one to highlight in our series, is that it really does highlight some of the beauty of the doctrine of adoption. And that truth is a truth because it's in Scripture. And the text, all of our texts in our service today have highlighted some aspect of God's adopting, God's choosing love of His people. But for our sermon, our text is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So give your attention to God's Word, and then we'll consider it together. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. Let's pray that God would open our eyes to see the beauty in this gospel truth. Lord, would you do just that for the church family this morning? Would you open our eyes and our ears? Would you soften our hearts with this beautiful doctrine? What your word teaches us about our new status and our new name and the many comforts that come from it. Lord, do this, that we might be comforted, and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I found that the subject of fatherhood for some is a welcomed subject, warmly received, not a difficult concept for them at all, because they have had good earthly fathers. But my time in campus ministry working with students for 18 years has also showed me that there are many 
who struggle with the very concept of fatherhood and the language of fatherhood because of failed earthly fathers. And so this morning, I don't want to assume too much. I don't want to assume uh, that your experience with your earthly father has been positive or negative, but I do want to admit the reality that in a sin-broken world, there are a lot of There are a lot of hurt feelings, there are a lot of hard stories, but we cannot let those keep us from understanding the beauty of the concept that God has given us in His Word when He calls Himself our Father in heaven. Because if we have an aversion to fatherhood because of a human experience with a failed human father, it would be easy to miss the beauty of how God is offering Himself to us all as a new kind of father and a heavenly father. But the truth is, in this world, there is a lot of pain, disappointment, and frustration with fathers. Even those fathers who look pristine on the outside have hurt and wounded members of their household in various ways. In 2012, I read an article in ESPN the magazine that I just resonated with in so many ways, and perhaps you will too, but the title of the article is Urban Meyer, Home for Dinner. Urban Meyer has been a football coach all of his life. He's coached at Bowling Green. He's coached at Florida, where he won a championship. He coached at Ohio State until he retired just a few years ago. But there was an article written about him and his failed fatherhood. And I want you to hear this this story because it may resonate with you. And it may be an example of why some people struggle to hear the beauty of fatherhood. But in this, he admits much. It says this, There's a scar in Urban Meyer that you need to see. A few years ago in Gainesville, Florida, his middle child, Gigi, planned a celebration to formally accept a college volleyball scholarship to Florida Gulf Gulf Coast University. But it was football season, so she checked her dad's calendar, scheduling her big day around his job. And as the hour approached... She waited at her high school, wanting much, but expecting little of her dad. Some now-forgotten problem had consumed Urban Meyer that day, and he told his secretary at work that he didn't have time to go after all. He was not going. His beautiful, athletic, and earnest daughter would have to sign her letter of intent without him. But Meyer's secretary... A mother of four insisted, you are going. Eighty or so people filled the school cafeteria. Urban and his wife, Shelly, joined their daughter at the front table, watching as Gigi stood and spoke. She'd been nervous all day, and with a room of eyes on her, she thanked her mother for being there season after season, year after year. And then she turned to her father. He'd missed almost everything. She said to him out loud in front of everyone, You weren't there. Urban's wife, Shelley, winced. 
Her heart broke for Urban, who sat with a thin smile, crushed. Moments later, Gigi, uh, Gigi high-fived her dad, but without making any eye contact. She then went and hugged her coach. Urban dragged himself back to the car and then arrived at his place of conflict deep within him as he went back to work as if he was driven by some biological imperative to work. But his daughter's words ran through his mind and they troubled him and yet he returned to the shifting pixels on his television studying for a football game that he would either win or lose. And so he let the conflict slip away because nothing mattered to him but winning. And he goes on to say that both of these people of wanting to be a good father and yet having this drive in him for perfection of work, he learned that he hated both of those people in him. It's a powerful story if you're a father and if you're a father who's found himself so busy that he often misses out on things in a child's life. But I share this story because some of you maybe needed to hear it, but also because it shows us that even in what appears to be great and healthy families, there are deep wounds towards fathers. And the truth is, no father can perfectly keep or live up to the kind of expectations that come with fatherhood. And yet God has captured the concept of what it is to be a heavenly father. And He has said, this is who I am to my people. It's a beautiful truth where God proves Himself over and over. It's a gospel truth. And if you've had a human experience that's left you shuddering and disappointed with the concept of fatherhood, Today we want to talk about fatherly love, but we want to see it from a heavenly perspective. Not our earthly fathers, but our heavenly Father. So this morning, gospel truth. Gospel truth. Our first point, I have six very quick points, and they go like this. Number one, gospel truth. God is our heavenly Father. This is the truth in Galatians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, where we were told, When the time set had fully come, God sent His Son and born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why? That we might receive adoption to sonship. That is why God and how God has made us to be His children. It is a beautiful doctrine. And it's given to us to comfort us and to bring assurance of who we are. In adoption, we have a new name, we have a new status, and we have a new identity. Now some of you have a family name that you're very proud of. Very proud of in this life. And that may be an obstacle for you because you may think, you know what? I'm just comfortable with the family and the name and the status that I have. But God's calling you to a new name and a new status and a new identity to take on His name, to be identified with Him. And that's the beauty of adoption, is we give up a lesser name, a lesser status, a lesser identity to take His status upon ourselves as our Heavenly Father. Sinclair Ferguson says this on the subject of adoption. 
We are adopted into God's family through the resurrection of Christ from the dead in which He paid all our obligations to sin, the law, and the devil, in whose family we once lived. Our old status lies in His tomb, and a new status is ours through His resurrection. That's what it is to be adopted into the family of God, to be given a new name, a new status, and a new identity. And it is a beautiful gospel truth worth singing about. The second gospel truth is that God has made us to be His sons. Because He's our Father, He has made us to be sons. And because we're sons, we're heirs. And that is the beauty of this truth. Listen again to verse 7 from Galatians 4. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. So how does that strike you to be called a son? A son of the living God. You may be tempted to correct that and say, well, I'm a daughter of the living God. And we understand in our culture why we might, some might have that reaction and that instinct. But let me say something loudly and clearly this morning. This is not the Apostle Paul in his culture missing a target in his speak. This is him telling us a precise theological truth. You see, if, if he told us that you were a daughter of God, that actually would not be good news in this passage. And here's why. You see, it was the sons who were heirs in this culture. The daughters were not heirs. And he intentionally calls men and women sons of the living God to say, you now have an inheritance that you were not eligible for. That is the truth of this doctrine of adoption. He's not sliding women here and highlighting men over women. He's saying that the gospel and its truth and its beauty redefines all of us, making us all to be heirs of His throne, of His kingdom, of His righteousness, and of His riches. You see, if we read this text through our cultural lens, pretending that He is speaking in our context, we will miss that truth. The beauty of what he's saying is that men and women are both heirs of the kingdom of God. So ladies, don't be offended to be called a son. He is saying that the gospel belongs to you. You have been made eligible to be an heir which that culture did not understand. This is an amazing and marvelous statement that Paul's making. It shows the beauty of God's love, the depth of God's love. And that depth of God's love is what has called, what has led hymn writers to sing about, oh, I don't know, the deep, deep love of Jesus. The hymn that we sang just a few minutes ago, Beautiful Truth by Trevor Francis. Listen to those words again. It says, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Spread His praise from shore to shore. How He loveth, ever loveth, changeth nevermore. How He watcheth over His loved ones. He died to call them His own. And how for them He intercedeth 
watching o'er them from the throne. Hymn writers, as they have examined the love of God in Scripture, have been reduced to just speaking of how deep it is and how profound it is and how beautiful it is. And so it is with the hymn that we'll sing together this morning. How deep the Father's love for us. I have a few comments uh, on that hymn. uh, Points in the sermon that, that are scriptural points, but that are found in the hymn. More gospel truths that are surfaced there. And so the third point of the sermon, the first from the hymn, is this. Here's a gospel truth. That though wretched, we are called treasures. Though we are sinful wretches, God calls us His special treasures. Remember what was in Deuteronomy chapter 7 in our reflection or our call to worship one. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. And it goes on to say that He didn't choose you because you were more numerous or that because you were better in any way. He chose you because He had made a promise to you. And He is a covenant-keeping God. Though we are wretched, sinful people, God has called us His treasures because He's made a promise and He's a promise-keeping God. Another gospel truth found in the hymn is this. Though mockers and scoffers, it was our sin that held Him there on the cross. Now you know what a mocker and a scoffer is. It's one who doesn't believe. It's one who thinks little. One who is unimpressed. One who will throw their voice among the crowd and bring quick criticism. At best, they'll have half-hearted, positive words of praise. And the hymn captures a profound truth in that lyric where it says that I heard my voice among the scoffers. And that is a sobering question for us to ask. The hymn has us sing a line as if we agree that we are those wretched, sinful people and that we are mockers and scoffers. But before you sing this lyric, let's really think about what it means and ask yourself if you agree. Do you see yourself as a mocker and as a scoffer? Or is there part of you that kind of thinks that God's lucky to have you on His team and in His family. Oh, I'd never be numbered among the mockers and the scoffers. Those are the bad people. It's the other people. I'm not a mocker and a scoffer. I'm not a half-hearted kind of person. I love the Lord and He loves me. That's not the spirit of the hymn. The spirit of the hymn says, I should be counted and numbered among the unfaithful. But... It was His kindness and my sin that held Him on the cross. He stayed on the cross because of my sin. Me, a mocker and a scoffer. One one that shouldn't have been died for, He died for me. He stayed on the cross to pay the price for my sin. A fifth gospel truth. Therefore, since all this is true, We do not boast in anything. We do not boast in our gifts, in any power, 
or in any wisdom that we think we have. Now, that's another hard application to ask because we tend to be a people who on some level, maybe not externally before others, but internally in the own posture of our hearts, we tend to be a very prideful people. And boasting is something that we're familiar with. But this gospel truth in the hymn is that we should not boast in anything. He, he loved us by grace. He loved us by mercy. Count us among the mockers and the scoffers. We won't boast in anything. We will only acknowledge that it was by grace that we have been saved. You see, grace humbles a person in that way. Have you experienced that kind of grace that humbles you in the presence of God and in the presence of other people? That you won't boast. You won't make every conversation about you. But you will make conversations about the one who has shown you mercy. And then the last gospel truth, not the last one in the hymn, but the last one I'll highlight, captures this. And it says, And this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. And this I know with all my heart. I have a confidence in this. His wounds, His death on the cross has paid my ransom. Now, what is a ransom? But simply, the price that must be paid to set a captive free. And this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Because He was wounded for me, because He was put to death instead of me, because He was raised from the dead, my debts are paid. My ransom is paid, and I have confidence. I have confidence in my everyday life that that truth prevails. You see, that is a beautiful, beautiful changed heart and changed mind that the church is supposed to know firsthand. That we are, be the, we are to be the people living in this life, walking with that kind of humility and that kind of confidence. And those two things can go together in the cross. We've been humbled by the cross, and we have confidence in the cross. We don't swagger in self-righteousness. If there's any swagger to us, it's a confidence that His wounds have paid our ransom. That is a beautiful gospel truth worth singing about. And I'll close with this quote from Stuart Townend himself. Uh, he says this, he says, I'm trying to write songs that refer to us as little as possible and that refer to Him as much as possible. And I thought, you know, if, if there were a theme that each of us should consider for our lives, could it be that? Could it be that the things that we do, could we try to not make them all about us, but really try to honor the Lord whose wounds have paid our ransom. Uh, this hymn is a beautiful hymn. It's a powerful hymn. As we sing it, let the lyrics teach you and remind you of gospel truth. Let this be a song that goes with you into the week and encourages your heart. It may, be, may it be a theme for all of our lives as we seek to honor our Heavenly Father who has loved us well. He's been... 
He's been tough when he needs to be tough, but he has been tender in the perfect way, capturing both toughness and tenderness in a way that a human father never can get right, but our heavenly father has. And he has adopted us and made us to be his own. Let's pray and give thanks for that gospel truth, and then let's sing about it. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for this beautiful truth, this doctrine of Scripture that we are unashamed to sing about. We will boast in that. We will boast in Your beauty and Your kindness to us and help us to boast in nothing else. Lord, be gracious and merciful to us that we would even see how being a member of Your household transforms our everyday life. We'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.